today on Ag News Daily. But guys, how you doing today? I am fantastic, Delaney Howell. I tell you what, there was a couple of rain showers that rolled across much of the prairie states yesterday. The corn, the eye states, got a little bit of much-needed moisture. I know it wasn't enough for a lot of folks, but definitely saw some happy folks on Twitter today tweeting out their rain gauge pictures. Ah, yes, it is. It's now uh, becoming dry across some of the corn belt, so much-needed showers for sure. It is. And Madison, how about you? What's going on in the world of Madison Honkamp? You know, not a lot, Mike, although I did look at the weather today and I am really excited because for State Fair here in Iowa, it's always like completely miserable and like above mid 90s, absolutely terrible. But this year it's like low 80s, high 70s. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I will be in the Governor's Charity Steer Show on Saturday. Listeners, love to have you come out if you are local to Iowa or if you're outside the state and planning on making a visit. Make it on Saturday. Come to the Governor's Charity Steer Show. I will be showing the steer that will be owned by the Iowa Bankers Association. It is always a great time. Mm-hmm. It's always a competitive mm-hmm. show. And I want to take home another purple ribbon. I tell you what. Or if you cannot make it in person, we will also be doing quite a bit of Facebook and Twitter live posting on Saturday, raising some money for the Ronald McDonald House. So you can also tune in with us at Ag News Daily on Saturday as well. Fantastic point, Delaney. Thanks for making that uh, making that well known. Absolutely, Mike. We'll be cheering you on, though. Don't worry. Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what are we cheering on right now in the world of Ag News? Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily cheering this on, but we've just continued to get some more news about the dire trade situation that we continue to have here with China. And President Trump has made some interesting remarks here over the past day, day and a half, really, saying that he's more than prepared to deliver another round, a third round of trade aid to farmers hurt by the trade war with China, um, because it seems like he's really in this for the long haul. And he said... This this kind of made me a little mad for farmers, especially because, I mean, I date a farmer, my dad's a farmer, and I would be quite upset if I saw this comment. But President Trump dismissed the idea to reporters that farmers were worried about the trade war. Apparently, a reporter asked the president yesterday about a soybean farmer. He The question was posed, you know, soybean farmers are concerned about the impact of the trade war. And President Trump answered in this response. He said, quote, our country is taking in billions and billions of dollars from China. And out of that many billions of dollars, we're taking a part of it and we're giving it to farmers because they've been targeted by farm by they've been targeted by China. The farmers, they come out totally whole. So you interviewed the wrong farmer. Hmm. He said that that farmers were completely whole out of all of this. Yeah, I I don't think many folks would agree with that, no. especially when you look at the, the disparities in the MFP2 payments that were released here last week. Ah, boy, I tell you what, that's that's disheartening. It is super disheartening that he said that. And so, yeah, so considering yet again a third round of payments, and Mike, I know you talked about Costco yesterday and mm-hmm. China's 
um, response to that being they're not going to buy U.S. soybeans or U.S. ag products. But Kafka released some statements saying that they will buy up to 25% more soybeans from Brazil over the next five years, while also financing the expansion of more than 60 million acres of soybean production in Brazil alone. Yep, that's the thing that this trade war has done that will change the bean industry for a long time. It has really encouraged further investment in the Cerrado in Brazil, and we are going to see continued acreage expansions down there, and especially if China's looking for ways to invest dollars into their mind, food security, and they can do that in South America. Yeah, yeah. I read something that said China buys about 60% of the world's soybeans on the world market. So mm-hmm. a 25% increase of Brazilian soybeans over U.S. is a big number. It sure is. We've got other, actually, uh, Brazil news. Delaney, if we can jump into it. Okay, let's hear it. Marfrig Global Foods SA, which is the world's largest hamburger producer, announced earlier that they are going to enter into an agreement with ADM to produce and market alternative beef products in Brazil, which I thought was interesting. They said that uh, ADM and Marfrig are going to produce a 100% vegetable burger with a meat-like flavor and texture. We want to give consumers the power of choice. It's up to them. That was from Eduardo Miron, the chief executive of Marfrig. So we've got more fake meat coming to the markets down in South America. It's really a trend kind of all over now, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And, you know, if we're looking for ways that we can grow soybean demand, maybe the alternative protein space is one of them. But hmm, that's true. I don't know. That's I bet true. we can I bet we can burn through more bean meal by feeding it to a hog rather mm-hmm. than trying mm-hmm. to feed it directly to people through some gross yeah. you know thing. And so I, I shouldn't say it's gross. Burger. I've never yeah. tried it. Right. Maybe it's delicious. I saw a girl eating one this weekend actually at a restaurant in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, so Oh, that'd be a good spot to get one. But you didn't, huh? You, you whipped out. Uh, no, but the thing that really even made it worse, my little brother pointed this out to me. He's like, not only is she eating an Impossible Burger, but she was eating it with a fork and knife. And that just put him over the top. Who, you were? No, my little brother pointed that out to me. Oh, just some other woman was? Right. At this restaurant that we were at, some lady ordered an Impossible Burger, which looked disgusting gotcha. in the first place. And then she proceeded to eat it with a fork and a knife instead of picking it up like a normal burger should be ate. Weird. Yeah, weird. it was People weird. Are so weird. That is really strange. Well, how about you, Madison? What kind of news are you looking at today? Well, I have kind of an update again with the ERS and IFA relocation. Um, I think this has been in the news since ever since I've been on the podcast. And... They still are toying with it, and um, again, they're going to the Kansas City area from D.C., but a watchdog probe found that the USDA officials have the legal authority to carry out the relocation, but not necessarily the budget authority to do so, and one big thing that they pointed out was that the USDA failed to meet a 60-day deadline to report to Congress how the department intended to use that $6 million provided for the NIFA relocation expenses in 2018, um, but they were not able to. So it's bringing up lots of concerns about how this relocation is going to really 
move forward and be successful, I guess. And it's still just not getting those big answers or big questions are not being answered about, um, you know, how this will help. Obviously, this will help save taxpayer money, but how exactly will it do that? And how will it benefit the employees? Interesting. Yes. So this is sort of the backdoor way they're finding to not yeah. complete the move, at least mm-hmm. not on secretary yeah. produced timetable. Yeah, and yeah. I've heard rumors now since technically they don't have the authority to spend the money that they could, I guess, get sued by Congress. Um, I think so, yeah. But, but as we know, like those folks are supposed to be moving to Kansas City, the ones that are continuing to work for USDA or work for uh, NIFA and ERS. But the, a question that was posed to me earlier, I was discussing it with some coworkers, and they're like, okay, well, what happens if they decide that the USDA didn't have the authority? Then are they going to bring all of those people from Kansas City back to D.C. again? I think That's they'd a have good to. Question. Yeah. Or they'd yeah. have to get congressional approval to get the get the money. Right. It just is a mess. Yeah, it is a mess. I, I, my heart goes out it to kind those of that is, are yeah. trying to plan a future with all of this hanging out in the open. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, the stakes are high when you're moving that far away. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. speaking of high, just kidding, uh, but Ohio <laughs> Governor Mark DeWine legalized hemp and mm. CBD products today. So that's why I said, never mind. Of course, hemp has less than 0.3% THC, which is the the good stuff in marijuana. And um, but but they did say that this is going to he signed this into law, saying this gives farmers another crop option and a potential revenue stream that could quote offset years of declining commodity prices. All right. Well, I mean. I talked to quite a few folks when I was in D.C., and none of them think that hemp is going to be a silver bullet, but just another tool to help diversify farmers' portfolios. So it's a wait-and-see, I think, for that. It is. I think there's there's going to be a really steep learning curve for growers that make that adoption, but for some, I'm sure it will become a viable part of their operations. I think it could be. Guys, do you have any other news, or should we get a quick word from our Tech Tuesday sponsors before we head into the markets? Let's hear from HTS Ag. For today's Tech Tuesday sponsorship, we're thanking our partners over at HTS Ag. And to give us a little more information on HTS, I've got Adam Gittins, who is the general manager. Adam, tell me a little bit about the priority you guys place on superior customer service over there at HTS. Absolutely, Delaney. The technology that farmers run in the field is only as good as the service and support that is behind it. We strive to have the most highly trained technical staff available when farmers are in the field and need it, and we make it available to them at times that others maybe don't. So we offer extended hours of support. We have a uh, built-in phone system that allows for rotation to make sure that they get someone no matter what time they're calling from 7 in the morning to 10 at night, six days a week, and even extended hours available on Sundays. So we really strive and push on having the best service available. I absolutely second to none. Well, again, that was Adam Gittin, their general manager at HTS Ag. To find out more information, head to www.htsag.com. (laughs) 
Well, thanks, Adam, for uh, continued sponsorship. Always enjoy working with those guys. But Delaney, Madison, what do you say we jump into the markets and see how things are going? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. I want to remind everybody once again, I'm now a proud employee of Zaner. And so if you want to get in touch with any one of the talented brokers or market strategists we have here in the office, just give me a shout, folks. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at 312-277-0112. And uh, just be sure to mention you heard it on the podcast. Today was a bit of a turnaround Tuesday after yesterday's gains. In the corn market, the SEP contract was down one and a quarter at 404 even. December down two and a quarter. Closed the day at 412 and a half. Soybeans also a little bit lower on the day. The September contract was down three cents at 853 even. November down three to finish the day at 865 and three quarters. Looking at Chicago wheat, the September contract was down ten and a half cents at 484 even. December down seven. Wrapped the day at 487 and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex with weakness in live cattle and a little bit mixed trade in feeder cattle is probably the best way to put it. In live cattle, the August was down 67 and a half cents at 107.1250. The October down a. a a dollar seventeen fifty to finish at one oh six twenty two and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract down fifty five cents at one thirty nine ninety seven fifty. The September up a nickel, wrapping the day at one thirty nine forty five. And in lean hogs, the August contract dropped seventy two and a half cents at seventy seven twelve fifty. The October down two dollars eighty two and a half cents, closed the day at sixty four sixty. And in the dairy market, one of the few places with green on the screen, the August Class 3 milk contract was up 13 cents on the day at 17.57, with the September up 9, wrapping up at 17.90. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion? I'm actually going to kick that over to Madison because she was the one that put together our Tech Tuesday conversation for today. Well, Delaney, we are talking to Kurt Wolfolk of Crop Nutrition and finding out what they're doing over there at with Mosaic Company. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today for our interview, we are joined by Kurt Wolfolk, the senior agronomist for Western North America for the Mosaic Company. And Kurt, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. That's awesome. And can you go give us a little bit of kind of background on mosaic and crop nutrition? Oh, absolutely. So in simple terms, mosaic is a, is a fertilizer company, but more specifically, you know, the mosaic company we were formed in 2004 is a publicly traded company and we're the leading producer and marketer of concentrated phosphate and potash products. We have, uh, we employ more than 12,000 people in over six countries. We actually have customers in approximately 40 countries and we, we try to participate in about every aspect of crop nutrition that there is. We uh, are fully committed to advancing crop nutrition within the industry and our mission statement kind of uh, rings true to that. It, you know, our mission statement to help, help the world grow the food that it needs. That's fantastic, Kurt. And when I think of Western North America this year, I think of a lot of cropping challenges based on the rainfall and the flooding and then the drought when we get up into North Dakota and parts of Montana. I mean, what do growers need to be thinking about here in 2019 from a crop nutrition standpoint? Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, 2019 has definitely uh, 
proved to be a, a challenging year to say the least. I think this is the first time that I can remember in my career that we've had such a large amount of geography in the U.S. Uh, affected by a lot of rainfall and a lot of wet soils. Uh, you know, in, in years past, we've seen that in pockets in certain areas that have delayed planting or delayed fertilizer applications. But uh, for sure, this year will go down in the books as, uh, you know, a year with plenty of headwinds for the growers as far as trying to get a, a crop nutrition program in place and then trying to get seed in the ground. And uh, so I think we've seen that, you know, whether it's the USDA crop reports or just uh, any any of the reports that, that any of us read or hear about, we're, we're a bit behind in, in quite a few areas on uh, growth stages of our corn and beans. You know, with that said, when we when we look specifically at uh, uh, Western North America, I still have some some personal farming interests with my family, and we just had a a, a bumper wheat crop in Kansas and eastern Colorado there, and and so I think the the, the winter wheat crop has been uh, really good for a lot of growers that definitely needed it, and and the rainfall has been good for some of the areas that that grow grain sorghum uh, or or even the the dryland corn areas uh, that typically have a much lower yield than what we're, we're used to in the upper Midwest or Western Corn Belt. But uh, yeah, I'd say f as, as far as what growers need to do, you know, uh, a lot of us didn't have the opportunity to get our fertility program in place because of the rainfall in the wet soils. Just want to remind people that, uh, you know, every, every acre, every square inch of your farm, uh, you need to learn how to or maximize that production uh, potential from that. And so, don't uh, don't take the foot off the gas. We need to continue to look at our balanced crop nutrition and our fertility programs and continue to try to grow the, the best yield that we can so that we can make that land payment and those cash rent payments. Absolutely, Kurt. And when you look at this year in particular and, and really next year, that'll be a big year for creating those balanced crop nutrition plans. How do you go about changing or adapting those plans when you have interesting growing years like this one nonetheless yeah well there definitely are some some tweaks um and some different paths to go down with a challenging year like 19 fundamentally it's always important if not more important whether it's a drought or an overly wet year to go back to the fundamentals and uh sometimes it's easy for for us uh you know we we kind of get Get in the uh, get in the grind, so to speak, and we forget about some of the fundamentals. So we always, in in training, whenever we're doing a balanced crop nutrition training uh, through with our agronomy team, we always remind people that, you know, as far as creating your balanced crop nutrition or your soil fertility plan, go in and make sure that your soil testing. And traditionally, universities and and others used to say about every four years, but with some of the higher yields that we've had in previous years. Uh, it's probably a good idea to do those every other year just so that we're really keeping track and monitoring those. So soil testing is a very important uh, foundational piece of that fertility program. And then I always coach people, especially after spending uh, quite, a, quite a few years of my career within the precision ag industry, look at your yield history. Whether you have a yield monitor on your combine or you're simply looking at scale tickets or, or ledgers from the elevator, Look at that three to five years worth of yield history that you've pulled off of each field across your farm. Use that information in conjunction with that soil testing to really hone in or, or look at where you have high uptake, high removal areas, and make sure that you're going in and addressing those pro, uh, appropriately. And, and number three is really setting goals and understanding that on a balanced crop nutrition program, 
we have to understand that a lot of a lot of nutrients there are 17 essential nutrients these 17 essential nutrients each one behaves differently in the soil and in the plant so again a lot a lot of what we do in training is just cover some of the fundamentals like you know nitrogen sulfur chloride boron and and, and molybdenum are mobile nutrients in the soil whereas the other nutrients are immobile or limited mobility in the soil and understanding how each one of those nutrients reacts in the soil and in the plant is definitely a critical piece to that balanced crop nutrition program. And I guess just fourth, just to, to, to kind of wrap things up as far as that plan, tissue sampling can be a really good way to monitor nutrient levels of that plant and what is being pulled out of the soil. But it's extremely important for retailers and growers to understand the, uh, the timing, the plant part that the lab suggests that you take and the growth stage and just that consistency year in and year out of that tissue sampling to build basically your own personal uh, database, if you will, of how your crops react on your farm and your soil type with your climate. Certainly. Yeah, all of that is very great advice. Now, when you think about I'm circling back to this year being a challenge and would you recommend growers to do their soil sampling this fall or what 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 what's the best strategy time wise? Um, it can be a challenge sometimes if you have a a muddy field or just the logistics yeah. of trying to get out. But we always coach people to say, however you've done it in the past, uh, just continue to do that that same timing. Um, so for a lot of us, you know, when we think about a, a corn and soybean rotation, uh, you know, fall. If we have an open window, you know, hopefully we're, we're definitely considering some of the growth stages that we're at. In some geographies, we're definitely hoping to have a open window so that we can get in there, harvest our crops with minimum, minimal dry down would be the goal, of course, and then uh, have the opportunity to get in and, and pull a soil test and have time to get fertilizer applied for, for geographies where that makes sense. Now, we always recommend that a spring application or the closer you can make a fertilizer application to when the crop ac actually needs it is always going to be the, the best uh, stewardship, the best use of your money with those nutrients. Uh, but there are a lot of situations and, 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 and a lot of logistical factors that come into play as far as equipment and availability of fertilizer product that, uh, you know, it's perfectly fine to come in the fall and uh, soil sample after harvest and apply fertilizer then. If if the soil is dry enough, and if you have done that in the years past, again, I would just just end being a, a bit repetitive here on purpose, uh, consistency, repetition, doing it at the same time every year, even when we have some of these anomaly years, again, drought or too wet, do it at the same time every year, and, and overall, you're going to be, that's going to be the most accurate. Kurt, I've got to ask, um, since your title does say Western North America, are you getting up and working with growers in Canada and or Mexico? I do. It's a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a, a, a mistitle there in the fact that uh, we actually have a, a country agronomist uh, or an agronomist that works in Mexico. But yes, I absolutely cover and provide technical support uh, for the four Western Canadian provinces and then uh, basically everything west of the Mississippi in the U.S. So I travel a lot and have the opportunity to interact with a lot of customers and see, uh, you know, canola and flax mm -hmm. and the peas and lentils of Western Canada and work with those uh, retail customers closely and then spend a lot of time on the corn, soybean, wheat, and, and cotton and alfalfa too. So, And are you seeing varied 
conditions and crops up in Canada as well. We we uh, have some Canadian listeners, but don't always get as much interaction with them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they've had a much different uh, situation than we have this year. Western Canada, by and large, uh, was very dry this spring. And while most of us in the U.S. were uh, very wet, they were praying that we would send some of the, the moisture and, and precipitation their way. And, and some of that has, has turned around, thankfully, for them. Uh, and, and I've been looking at trials and, and uh, observing some canola uh, research data that we've got up there. And it looks like, um, thankfully, some of them have, have got the rainfall they need. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, much different for them uh, than it was for us here in the spring. So, Kurt, I've got a question for you. Given the territory that you cover, we continue to see corn and soybeans, that two-crop rotation, pushing its way north and and a little bit even farther to the west, both in the United States and, I assume, working its way up into Canada. How much farther out can we push corn acres from the the I states, would you say? No, that's an excellent question. I think every agronomist, especially the, the Western Canadian agronomists, Continue to look at ways to change up the crop rotations, whether it's from uh, weed, insect, or disease pressures. They're looking for different crops. And while there may be years where the, the, the lentils and the peas and some of the pulse crops uh, can serve a lot of value in a crop rotation, it's, it's very much a uh, highly volatile market. And so that drives a lot. So they have definitely gone in and experimented with with corn and beans. I mean, Southern Manitoba, that Winnipeg area, you know, they've, they've had corn for 10, 12, 15, some growers, maybe even longer than that years. And they're, they're pretty well versed in the corn and the beans in Southern Manitoba. As you go further West, they've really been looking at what, what genetics, what hybrid uh, development, what varietal changes can we have with like a group zero, zero uh, soybean and how well can they tolerate some of the, the really, the cooler nights and just the overall latitude and conditions that we find in Western Canada. But they're, they're very hungry to find additional crops to throw on the rotation. Uh, it seems like in Saskatchewan and even going, um, you know, over in, I'd say all the four provinces, I've seen some maybe retraction in some of the soybean acres. Uh, two years ago, it seemed like everybody was trying um, some beans, not as much on the corn side. Uh, and I've seen some retraction on that. With that said, I almost would say that I've seen a little bit different or inversion on the corn. I've seen more people further west than Manitoba trying some corn acres. So the beans were probably first just because of the comfort level with pulse crops and the planters and the equipment. And then the corn, uh, well, t- time will tell. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think there's opportunity there. It's fascinating to watch that industry continue to change. Well, Kurt Wolfuck, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, and good luck as you get out here in 2020 and uh, work with growers to make sure that we can grow the food that the world needs. Oh, thank you so much. 
Well, great discussion. Lots of things to consider, especially after such a challenging year as 2019. Listeners, if you want to get caught up on any past podcasts or hear maybe some of the other experts that have been on Ag News Daily, Delaney, where can they go to get that? Well, they can head to globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. And while you're there, check out some great content. We've got blogs. We've got podcasts. We've got a lot of great stuff. So do be sure to check out other offerings on the network or interact with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.